What's up, my friends? This is Chad Brown. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This week, in this episode, I'm with Dan and Adrian once again. And they, in fact, do a much better job at introing this episode in the actual recording than I could do here. This week, we're talking about chronic complaints. So I'm going to let them intro the topic. But before we do that, I want to remind you about the change imperative. Change-imperative.com. Go get your free copy of Dan's ebook. This is all about change management in your organization and on your team for any team of any size. This is a must-have. As you consider instituting change in your organization or in your department or on your team, it's important for you to understand the psychology and the behaviors of those characters who will show up. And this book does a beautiful job at explaining each of them, what they need, and how to affect the change that you're looking for. Go to change-imperative.com, get your free copy. Now let's dive into the conversation. All right, chronic complaints. Let's go. Mm. Mm. Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, we're always making us do shit we don't want to do. I know. You guys don't really understand me. What if we just, what if just the whole time was just us complaining about stuff? People would be like, that was the best podcast we've ever heard. You, you guys understand me. So, so relatable. I get it. You sound like my head. The fellowship of complaint. All right. Well, we're leaving that intro in. You guys did a much better intro, much better job introing this episode than I could have with those complaints. So, welcome everybody. Welcome back to the conversation, Naked Leadership Podcast. This podcast, this episode, we're just going to complain the whole time. <laughs> we're going to talk, talk about chronic complaints, um, which is one of my favorite things to talk about because you know they're these things that we say we hate, but we love to keep them around. We love them. And uh, we're going to talk about why. So I'm here with Adrian and Dan. How are you, fellas? Good. Well, thank you. Good. Well, let's dive in. Uh, it, chronic, a chronic complaint was something, that terminology, at least that phrase, Adrian, was something new to me when we started working with you in, our, in my media production business. Yeah. And you know, it made, made a lot of sense once we started really dissecting what is a chronic complaint? How do we identify them? What is it that we're talking about when we say a chronic complaint? I think probably a lot of listeners right now are going, what in the world? I mean, you could put the two words together. Obviously, it's something that persists uh, over and over again and a complaint. But why? Why are we talking about chronic complaints and what are they? And, and one final question might be, how do they serve us? Well, yeah, we're going to get into that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, first off, I want to look at the container we usually talk about this stuff about, right? So we have naturally as humans, we have a very moralistic view, um, like what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's healthy, what's un- I mean, unhealthy. Like we tend to look at, that's like an invisible lens by which we see things. And so I just want to start by that because usually when people hear the word complaint, they think it's bad. And, you know, I, have you said it to yourself? I've said it to myself all the time. That person's such a complainer. And so anyway, the word complaint, it's worth just so you, just so all everybody listening, complaint to me is like a neutral thing. It's not good. It's not bad. We'll talk about what it is, but that's what it's not. So complaints can be great. I would start by there. An acute complaint, it can be really great. Literally, as I'm sitting here, I was noticing, first off, Allie, my amazing girlfriend, she put some flowers on my desk. That's nice. Something I didn't do. And there was a there was a, a, a set of the flowers that was bent over. And I thought over time it was going to 
ruin faster. So I took it out and put it in the middle, right? And that is an acute complaint. These flowers are going to die or it's too hot in this room. I had a sweater on. I took it off. That's a complaint. It's too hot. So I took my sweater off, right? That's an acute complaint. I'm hungry. I'm going to need to go eat food, right? So there's a, I don't like what's happening in this moment. And then what can I do about it, right? That's a, a momentary acute complaint. Now we're not talking about that. Go ahead, Dan. Well, there's Brueggemann, this guy, Walter Brueggemann, he's a theologian. He brings it up too. In the, in the faith context, meaning like the Psalms are a complaint. Like there are things that occur that we often need to complain about just to uh, get it off our chest. Mm. And, uh, you know, like a prayer like that. Mm-hmm. And those are ways we get in touch with our needs, both of our own needs and the needs of those we, we live with. So, you know, to put it in context, yeah, there's, there's a, there is a value to complaint. We're talking about the chronic complaint about yeah. something we say we really don't want, but we tend to continue to have. Yeah. So um, when we talk about chronic, so a lot of times when I'm talking with someone and they say they, that there's something happening they don't want to be happening, I usually inquire how long that's been happening. Because how long something's been happening will tell me a lot about it. And it'll tell me a lot about the person that's doesn't like it. So for example, let's say my, uh, when the, my head of sales doesn't tell me all the details, let's say that's a complaint. My head of sales doesn't tell me all the details. Great. How long has he not been telling me all the details? Well, you know what? He hadn't been telling me all the details since I hired him. How long was that? Three years ago. Hmm. Then now the the length of time that this person has had this complaint tells me about how they're relating to the complaint itself, right? So I'll try not to speak too poetically here or too surgically, but the point is that if or the question is if I've been tolerating this thing for a long time, I must want it for some reasons that either I might know or that I I'm unaware of, right? Reasons that I keep it around that I'm either conscious of and just avoidant of, or some things that might be surprises to me that I've not even considered about why I like what I say I don't want, why I keep around what I say I don't want to be around, right? Why this complaint might be my best friend, but I'm acting like it's my enemy. Yeah. So that's the, that's part of this work is to examine the nature of the complaint. I don't know if that's good enough tee up for the conversation, but that's because there, anyway, lots of things to say, but I'll pause there for a second. Let you guys jump in. Well, I was just going to say, you know, we're going to move into that's that's a great tip for a chronic complaint, something that's been happening for a while, something that you've related to as a quote unquote problem for a while, but have been unwilling or unable, as most of us make up, I'm unable to solve this issue, or I've, I'm unwilling to do what it takes to to rectify to change to change the circumstances of which I think I'm being held hostage by, right? And so the conversation that we're going to invite people into is that possibly these complaints are an invitation, are an opportunity that lies within them. And I know in my coaching work with people and and my own personal being coached by both of you, when you invite me into the idea that, hey, (laughs) this complaint might be the very thing that looks that, that can become freedom for you or that uh, that is the opportunity that you're not seeing. And so wh- how do how do chronic complaints become an invitation? 
adaptation to something that's possible or to multiple I, possibilities? I, I think first it has to be realized that the complaint is um, of some benefit. Yeah. Right. It's an intersection. It's it's of some benefit strictly because I've kept it around for so long. Yeah, it's because, useful. Yeah, it's got some use to it. So <clears throat> understanding, and then I, like I, I, one of the things I like to do is like, what? Let's look at the thing. Let's chunk it down. What happens when you complain? Right. I say this. This. You know. I don't. My my sales manager doesn't give me all the information. Right. Okay. Good. And what happens when your sales manager doesn't give you all the information? Well, then I, I get pissed off, and, but I don't tell him. I just get mad and I make him, you know, I withdraw. Make right. him pay in other ways. Yeah, I just withdraw. And when he asks for something, I don't respond or whatever. But there's an actual pathology of behavior, right? There's a, you'll see there's a pattern of behavior that goes along with the complaint. I complain. Something happens, I complain, then it doesn't turn around, then I do something, and that, and if I can find and locate what I tend to do, it'll help me see what I'm getting out of the complaint or what I'm keeping it around for, right? It's usually, to me, when I'm complaining chronically, it's um, because I've lost faith in the possibility of what I said mattered to me. Mm. What I'm doing is settling for what little I know I can get, and it's not all that I'm committed to that's why i'm complaining it gives me some justification it makes me feel like i'm uh, being vigilant or there's some moral aspect to it as adrian would say that makes me feel good about the fact that i'm not getting what i wanted but at least i'm getting this and i'm complaining to let everybody know that i really want more and i'm letting myself know that So if I can get clear about what I'm getting out of that, like what are the payoffs of having it this way? And most of the time when we talk to a client or even I've done it myself when I run myself through this is I can't see what the benefit of complaining about this has been, right? But it could be as subtle as I get to be right about how important I am to the organization. That because the sales manager doesn't give me the statistics, it's a good thing I'm around because I stay on top of it and I cover his ass. So I get to feel some way valuable in the situation. I'm unwilling to risk him really doing or her doing her job in a way that's going to be in her lap and she can be a success. I get to feel like I'm still involved because I can't really reinvent what I'm about as a leader, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're talking about this one specifically, lots of stuff comes up from conversations we have all the time. It's like this great leader, this important person in the organization isn't doing X, Y, Z. I'll complain about them not doing X, Y, Z, but I don't want to talk to them about it because they might leave. Right. So I actually don't think I can help train them to deliver the way we need as a team need them to deliver. So I treat them as precious and then complain them about being precious. Yeah. And about them being so precious. But I've trained them how to be precious because I've acted like I haven't noticed all the things they haven't done that a holistic team member would do. They're a very specific type of team member. And I've said it's okay. But I'll complain about it because I really don't want to lose them, number one. Or I hear this a lot. I don't want to be a micromanager, right? So I'm actually not bringing it up to to save myself from the potential judgment of this other person that might be as smart or smarter than me. So I don't want to be seen as a micromanager. So I don't have specific conversations that might generate that feeling in them that I want to deeply avoid. Yeah, another payoff, right? Just pointing out a couple payoffs. I don't lose good people, quote unquote, good people, and I get to retain my own flattering view of myself. 
And I always ask the question, because that comes up a lot. That's a real common reaction. I don't want to micromanage. The question is, are you micromanaging or are you just calling training micromanaging? Because many times training somebody to really get your thinking, right? Like, like to have an open and, and, and transparent environment is to test the thinking. And the more people test thinking and they are aware of each other's thinking, the more they can align with the thinking that the company's really, that's going to benefit the company. Right. So sometimes it feels like micromanaging when, in fact, all you're doing is helping this person learn what it is you really want from them. As you know, on the outcome of it and what kind of resource you can be to them. Right. That's the other thing is that if we're in a good conversation about what's wanted and needed and I'm willing to face what I'm afraid I'd have to pay if I did, it, you know, like. Adrian said they might lose, they might leave. If I'm willing to face that, I can discover what's going to take to support them. And if they leave, then better to know now than invest a bunch of time half-ass with, you know, and then later on they leave and you get to be right about, well, you need to do it, nobody else can. Right? Which is I find part of the dilemma of the founder is moving stuff off their plate, you know, scaling things that they could normally do in a smaller organization they can't do as the organization scales up and then offloading that in a responsible way so somebody else can win and still be in alignment with the thinking that makes the organization great and that's that's a work that's that's what that's really the work of leadership right there yeah this conversation of getting at the benefits of the chronic complaint is one of my favorite processes to go through with myself being coached by one of you or with a client as I'm as I'm helping them you know see what might what's possible what might be the benefit of keeping this complaint around and Adrian one of the questions that you use a lot that really uh, brings it to life for me and I think people who are listening say might say the same thing like when you bring up like I wonder like you have this do you have this complaint that's chronic it, it sticks around you've kept it around for some reason i wonder what the benefit of you keeping it around that is and usually the answer comes back is like there are you kidding me there is no benefit i would make this thing go away tomorrow if i could mm-hmm. today better today mm-hmm. right and that's usually the first reaction and one question that you use a lot, Adrian, that just really brings it home for me, really helps me start to be open to the idea that it's a benefit, is that I wonder why your favorite way to show up is aloof or not paying attention or willing to accept that your leader doesn't give you all the information. I wonder why that's your favorite way to be. And and that that like... My favorite, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> but then it's it's bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you're you know, if you're listening to this and having some of that going on, I, I invite you to just wonder, right? Put yeah. on the put on the uh, interested hat rather than the knowing hat. Mm, I wonder why this is my favorite way to show up. I wonder why this this complaint has benefited me up until now. And and what is the benefit? If it yeah. was a benefit, would you want to know is another question. Like, yeah. Because if you're busy proving it's not a benefit, then you can't see how it is. Okay. Well, and, and we're, we're usually, ha- we are always having this conversation outside of traditional psychological perspective, right? So 
traditional therapeutic perspective or even psychological perspective is that, you know, human beings are the effect of something else. And we're, we're taking on, or there's a, there's, there's a perspective always for us that I have exactly what I want. Like, well, sometimes Dan will say it, like everything is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then I have exactly what I want. Even the things I say I don't want, I have them because I want them. And I, and if that were true, would I want it to be true? And how would I do, you know, that, that's the type of, and, but why, but why ask it that way is, is the, now the important next question. Why might there be value there? Well, with more ownership and responsibility is more freedom. Like that's the, that's the, the gravity. If I take more responsibility and if I take more ownership, I have more freedom. I've got more possibilities that I can then generate. Um, if not, I'm stuck with the options life is giving me. Right. So I want as much ownership and as much um, responsibility in every situation as possible, not like a martyr, but as a someone that wants to own my potential of influence and impact. Hmm. So I don't want to take somebody else's responsibility. I just want to, as I mean, take 100% responsibility for 50% of every relationship. Dan has said that so many times. That struck me deeply the first time I heard it. And even beyond that, as a leader, I want to, sometimes people nod at like, oh, if, you know, if they'll say something like, if they win, it's them. If, you know, and if we fail, it's me. That might be a decent starting point to the conversation. But if I'm only doing that. And if I'm going to take all the blame, that's usually what they mean. That's actually not a gift to the organization either because you're inviting other people to then put what they're responsible for on your plate. So there are naturally, I guess my point here is there are naturally complaints that will continue to arise in every human endeavor and every human organization complaints will be arising. And then what do we do about the complaints as as they arise? Do we consider the generator of the complaint? Mm-hmm. Or do we say that the complaint is because of something outside of ourselves? And so we want to explore ourselves as the generator of the complaint. And if I am generating it, there's a reason why I'm generating it. There's some benefit. So that's that's kind of some of the the orbiting conversations around this combo for us is if I own that I generate the complaint on purpose, even if it's even if the purpose is has been invisible to me at times. You know, because that's what comes up, right? Whenever you say, I wonder why you like this. I wonder why this is your favorite. Let's talk about that. Why do you like to be so confused? Why do you like to be so left out of the loop? Why do you like to be avoided? Why well, I don't like to be avoided. Okay. Well, you're avoided a lot. Let's talk about it for a second. Let's talk. If, if, as Dan says, if this were true, if this were true, would you want to know? You know, why do you like to be avoided? Well, there's lots of benefits to being avoided. I don't have to pay attention. I don't have to listen to other people. I don't have to be responsible. I get let off the hook. There's no inherent risk. I get to have my own freedom in my own schedule. I mean, it's a long list that's so easy to think about if I'm out of proving why it's happening to me and into wondering about why I generate this experience and waste my life. So, yeah. Can you- can you tell I'm passionate about this? <laughs> Only because for me, right? It's like, wow, this is, this is so vital for me as a person, as well as all the people I get to work with. Yeah, you know, uh, Peter brought up, a, a, remind me of a quote that this uh, 
the business philosopher Peter Kostenbaum said, he said, you know, some people are permanently angry or in, in a constant state of feeling sorry for themselves. The explanation, it's a common way to avoid the anxiety of freedom, the fear of responsibility, the resistance against owning one's choices. The result, it keeps them infantilized forever, and none of the rewards of mature leadership will be available to them. Mm. Mm. It's a killer quote. Yeah, that's incredible. It is a fantasy, right? It's, I mean, these chronic complaints are a form of fantasy. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I just finished up a training, a, a three-day training that we did with a group of men who had all come together to, to make something happen in their lives. And I showed them a video of this, um, I can't remember his name right offhand, but this, this video of this gentleman who was born, he was genetically uh, an, uh, a quadriplegic. He didn't. He his arms and his legs were cut off at the joints, so the elbow joints and the and the the knee joints not cut off. They just didn't grow. And as he grew up, I mean, he wrestled in high school with all of the kids who <laughs> were had had all of their limbs. And it, early in his adulthood, he decided he wanted to be a mountain climber. The problem was he couldn't even walk on the sidewalk from the from the driveway to his front door without bloodying his his uh, limbs. And um, so he wanted to climb mountains. And he, the dialogue in this video is so good about him wondering. It was just all curiosity. It's like, I don't know if I can do this or not. I have no idea, but I'm going to try. I'm going to see. And he ends up making... He ends up partnering with some people. They make these amazing rubber... Um, uh, crampons basically that go on all four of his limbs so that he can climb mountains. I saw that, I saw that video. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's not, it's never been, I shouldn't say never, that's kind of hyperbole, but it, it was so apparent to me that this guy had every reason to make every excuse and chronic complaint about wanting to be a mountain climber, but not having his limbs. You know, and he, it, it could just, I could, and we would all give him a pass with that complaint, possibly, right? <laughs> like, if anybody had any reason to complain about anything, that that was it. Um, but yet, he was unwilling to yield to the complaint and create what he wants. And he summited Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Wow. Pretty amazing. Unbelievable. So how is... One one frame, and I think this is very similar to what we've already been talking about, but one frame is, is that a chronic complaint is an invitation. Hmm. An invitation to what? Well, to get in, to recommit to what it is you're afraid you can't have. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what the frustration is, is I'm complaining because I'm not getting what I ultimately want. I'm settling for something less. And I'm, I probably externalized it, and I'm afraid to... You know, it takes courage to lead. It takes courage to to look into what you feel is impossible and then resource, you know, like declare and stand in a way that you're going to find the, the resource. I mean, what you talked about with the mountain climber is a perfect example. How, but you can take that into any circumstance, working with, you know, a difficult somebody on your leadership team that might be resistant and may not want to hear what you think needs to be talked about, right? And so you're complaining because they won't listen, but really what you're, you know, the invitation is for you to find a way to bring it to them and risk what you're afraid you might lose, Mm -hmm. right? Or prepare for 
the inevitable, right? Because as Adrian says, every communication has some future in it. What future is in this complaint? If you continue to live in this complaint and the condition continues as it is, what future is coming? I think that's an important conversation to have up front so that there are no surprises. You're choosing the future that's coming, right? Run that parade. Yeah. Yeah, run that parade <laughs> and let it sit, let it let it impact you. Because I think a lot of times just the fear that the, the the suffering, the future that you don't want, if you're really clear about it, can motivate you to take that risk and you can find that courage and take that fear with you. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a so many conversations here that matter to me. I was re- reminded today of a quote from Viktor Frankl. Oh, I like. When we are no longer, there's two of them. uh, I'll just read one, though. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. You know, and everybody, I'm sure, listening to this knows Frankel, but, you know, his backstory makes that um, so powerful when he was, you know, imprisoned and decided to do all the thinking behind man's search for meaning. You know, the other the other quote was the meaning of life is to create meaning in life. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the I mean, this is the despair. We don't people don't use the word despair that often. We do in our work a lot because it's usually the experience people are having. It's just not a commonly used word. But this is where a lot of the despair happens on a micro level. And if you do it enough, you've got macro despair. Because what if, if there's all these little things I tell myself I can do nothing about, which is what a complaint is, right? Like I'm at effect of what's happening. I can, I can do nothing about this. If I tell myself that t- about 10 things in my life, I've got a 10 size complaint. And now all of a sudden, I'm less. I've told myself a story that the world is immovable. The future is uncreatable. I can't shift. I can't change. And all of a sudden... You know, I'm left to the to the life that life is giving me. Circumstances are giving me. So, this is where these things I, I say are really important to notice how many things I'm complaining about and wonder how long I've been complaining about them because these are little lies I'm telling myself that eventually become an identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, around every good chronic complaint, we've built evidence. Yeah. about the complaint, right? We've we've collected oh and some of them I know for myself I'll speak personally some of them I've collected for years and years. <laughs> you know, just putting them in the evidence box, oh this is why I can't do anything about this complaint that I have. Yeah. And we store that. And we call that I mean a lot of those a lot of that evidence we call circumstance. Yeah. They're things that are outside of our control, circumstances that we cannot affect. And that is the reason why we have this complaint. And what you're hinting at, what you're pushing at, Adrian, is this idea of what is my contribution to the breakdown? Until we're willing to get clear on what our contribution is to the breakdown, the the complaint will stay. Right, because once we have a hold of our contribution, once we understand what we're contributing to the breakdown, how we're creating it in our lives, then we can do a, we can do something about it. It calls us into action, an action that might allow us to to get rid of the complaint. Yeah, can, can I indulge and, and read another quote, please? This is this is an old Werner quote that showed up in my 
showed up in my uh, whatever time hop thing. If you guys don't know what time hop is, to go download time hop. It's fun. I think it's fun. Um, it shows everything that happened on this day over the last X amount of years, how long you've been doing social media. It's pretty fun. And anyway, five years ago, I posted this quote and it came back to me. This is a guy named Warner Earhart, which is a pretty controversial figure, well, like a contemporary Amer- American uh, philosopher that put together many schools of thought uh, and ended up launching the human potential movement and with some very controversial styles of, of doing it. That's why he was controversial. He ended up impacting millions and millions of people's lives. So anyway, you can check him out on YouTube. He's got lots of interesting stuff to say, but it, this quote touches this topic. It, it, it goes like this. Maybe I'll do my best, Warner. It's important to get clear for yourself that your only access to impacting life is action. The world doesn't does not care about what you intend, how committed you are, how you feel or what you think. And it certainly has no interest in what you want or don't want. Take a look at life as it is lived and see for yourself that the world only moves for you when you act. I've been practicing, but you know, that's the, the way out of a complaint is action, right? Cause a complaint is, is embedded. It's, you know, what well, buddy of mine used to say, um, you know, the, the walls of your prison cell are padded with your own complaints, but you know, the door is always open, right? But you got to walk out and give up the padding, give up the safety that the complaint gives you. So you got to turn in your misery, usually for nothing. You don't know if it's going to work out. You know, the, you don't know if it's going to work out. That's part of the faith that you're talking about, Dan. It's like, I don't, you know, I'm going to walk to give up the safety that the complaint, especially the just very well justified and very chronic complaint. I got to give that up. It's well-known terrain. I got to leave the well-known hell and enter one. I don't know. And it might be hell, might not be hell, but you know, it, there's an opportunity there. Uh, and it always feels like risk. It's like decide. Here's a big concept for me is like, can I decide that I was, I'm wrong about what I've always told me I'm right about? Yeah. Like deciding all of a sudden that this is, you know, this is what I, part of what I hate about the American political system at this time is that when people change their mind, we judge them. And we ought to be okay with, Hey, I was wrong or, Hey, you know what? I made that decision based on XYZ influences. And now I'm in this place in time and I see it this way. Yeah. But so many of ourselves, so many times, even just for me, it's like, if I were to admit, the best thing I could do is to say, hey, you know what? I've been committed to this really bad idea. Yeah. And now I want to be more alive. So let me give up this really bad idea. But I'm walking then into a whole new frontier if I give it up. And I got to face potentially, you know, my own self-judgment, which we call, which people, this kind of shame conversation. Why did I know this sooner? I got to keep doubling down on this stupid idea just because I don't want to face how much I knew the answer was a year ago. But my ego tells me to keep up the game now and keep acting like I know what I'm talking about. Um, face judgments of other people. That's why we don't want to give up the, you know, get, you know, get off it and start something new. Um, and, you know, we might fail over there and it might actually be a fail. I get out of my head and into the world. I might actually fail instead of fearing failure and using all these complaints to save myself from the, you know, from the fear, you know, but that's usually, that's what's happening for folks in the conversation um, a lot of times, but we don't, we don't uh, accurately assess, you know, what is actually happening for us as leaders in real time. And that's part of the purpose of this conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. What's it like to 
decide to shift as a leader. And why we choose to work with leaders is because we know leaders are full. They have a potentiation to them. Like if you shift, it shifts, right? If you take a new stand, it shifts culture. We know that because of how much influence and, and, and effectiveness and, and authority you have. So that's why I know for me, when someone else lives really uh, authentically and with, with some, you can, you're around somebody that's like really vital, right? And like in real time is really alive, right? When I talk about vitality, it's like somebody that's like really alive, like really present, not like I'm holding my crystals and, and humming present. I mean, like really just fully here, fully here. I'll take on anything that's happening right now. I'm really crystal clear about where I'm headed. And I love these. I'm a generous spirit. Those are like what vitality is about for me. We know what it's like. Those, when I, even if I've got complaints, I can push, I can point them, I can push them back or point them towards my vision, right? So I can decide, I can aim all of my psychology at my vision. So yeah. some of your complaints won't go away. Some of mine don't go away. I wish I was taller. I'm losing my hair. I wish I was smarter. <laughs> I wish I read faster. I wish, you know, I wish lots of things about myself. That's not going away, you know? And so that's either, that's a, that's a, that's a problem or it's just part of what goes along. What comes along, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The idea that you have to get rid of it is silly. You just don't just turn it down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm going to turn that one down, that channel down. I'm going to keep them and turn this channel up. That's right. Because we have so many channels playing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The, the one I've heard is that uh, it's, a, it's a friend in the back seat that you'll let control the radio or pick the song, but you would never let them drive. <laughs> I like that. Back there, keep your seatbelt on, son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Adrian, you um, and you've been on a roll this episode. It's been so great, man. I just mm. really have enjoyed hearing you talk. Um, I'm, over, I'm over insecure that I'm talking too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, you are, and I, uh, I, <laughs> but I, I, it's been to my benefit. So um, I just wanted to ask you. You know, you made a post recently on social media to talk about you know having some sort of system for yourself yeah. to recognize chronic complaints yeah. and then do something about it. Cause I, I think that was so poignant. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more sure. uh, and, and dominate, you know, the rest of the conversation and just talk about this, 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 this idea of a system because it was really beneficial for me. Well, so the, the idea was, is that first idea that usually from, from me, most of my organizing principle is I'm in, I generate my own experience. And as a leader, I'm responsible for my own experience, period. Not, I'm not responsible for everything that's happening. I'm responsible for my experience and what I, what I do about it afterwards. So the, the, the post was about, do you have a system like that, or, that creates guardrails for your own sanity? That's what the post was about. And I say I'm as sane as I want to be. Anytime I'm, in, I'm, I'm not sane or feeling off, I must want to be insane and feel off. So... That's so just to be clear, that's where I come from. So, yeah, I, I hear this a lot. Like, uh, I just feel so crazy right now. I feel so crazy right now. And if you said, How's why is that? They would go through a list of all the things outside of themselves right. are happening as if that's creating their that's generating. No, your my relationship to those things is where the experience is generating, is generated. 
And I get to choose my relationship to those things. So the post was about like asking folks if you have a way to really essentially self lead, lead yourself, manage yourself, guide yourself. Uh, I just said to a couple of friends this morning, I said, my brain doesn't do too well unguided. Meaning I know where I go. I go to some chronic complaints if I'm not telling myself what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. If I just kind of let the brain do what the brain's going to do, the brain's going to find out what's wrong, who's wrong, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with you, what's wrong with it, how much I don't have time, how much of a pain in the ass the kids are, why this, why that, blah, 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 blah. That's where my head's going in order to kind of sustain my own view of myself or to you know, save me from trouble. That's where my head's going, unless I tell it to do something else. So if I'm in a mood, right? If, or if I'm in an inter- if I'm in a feeling, if I'm in, which is from us, like feelings like thoughts trapped in the body, right? There's some feelings are dying for language. If I'm in this uncomfortability, let's just call it that, I can avoid the uncomfortability. I can label the uncomfortability. I can, I can use the uncomfortability to lash out, or I can own the uncomfortability. Now, if I own the uncomfortability, then I must ask myself, I wonder what's going on for me. So part of the, the benefit to that is what's going on for me. I wonder what's here for me. And I can actually do like a little spot check. How did I generate this thing? What is actually happening for me? And is there anything, I mean, it's worth saying, part of like the complaint, it's not a problem is like, oh, I don't like this. Sometimes I say this to me a lot. Oh, this is happening. I don't like this. And then, because it's good for me. I, I can tend to be a people pleaser. I can tend to be this like, I love to be like the best soldier on the field. I can be a martyr, but I can act like nothing bothers me. A lot of shit bothers me. So it's good for me just to say, hey, I don't like this. The next question, though, is like, is there anything I want to do about it? You know, because it might be nothing I can do about it. Or might be, or, you know, and another question with that, or even maybe before that, is, is there anything I contributed? How did I contribute to what's happening? Mm-hmm. You know, especially I see this easily in the relational domain. If, you know, if Allie's cold, for example, emotionally or whatever, is there any way I contributed to it? Good, good to notice. Might be nothing. May just be where she's at, and you know. And but is, is there any I contributed to it? Because if I can find any bit of responsibility, I can go intervene. So that's like having these like moments of like slowing down for a second, like restraint, ha- like I'm having a moment of restraint. Because if I don't do that, then I'm going to live in reaction to that, and then blame that for my reaction as well. And so all of a sudden, I'm not leading my life anymore. I'm not generating my life. Something outside of myself is generating my life. And then I'm being generated by that, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the victim seat my entire, that, you know, for all that entire time. So the moment to do a spot check and be willing to do that for your own sanity, right? You can do it for others, but do it for you. You yeah. know, I always tell my clients, hey, I'm, I'm my number one asset. If I'm not, I see it even in my family. If I'm not taking care of myself and managing myself, my kids have a horrible time because I'm going to be a maniac to them, right? So that's the whole, I don't know, use your airplane analogy with the face mask or whatever, which is a very tired one, but like do it for you, you know, be like, take care of yourself, make sure you're managing yourself so that you can be for others. Yeah. So you can stand, right? That's I mean, right. So it's like, there's this, what you just described, this, this thing going on internally between my experience, thoughts, feelings, all that stuff. And what I think about life. And, and the question is, What's bigger than that? Yeah. Right. And that is 
Uh, well, even though this is going on for me, here's where I'm going to stand. Like, oh, I see this is going on. Now, what do I, what do I stand for? Or how do I stand in this situation? What, right. what am I going to take in this situation, which transcends all that? Right. Yeah. It helps me put, put, a, put a context on all the d- stuff that's going on internally that needs to align. Right. Well, what's it going to align with? I know for most people, we try to deal with our emotions first and our thoughts hoping that'll get us to a stand versus taking the stand and letting the emotions, feelings, thoughts, and conceptualizations align with the stand. Like let the stand be the guide, be the, because it's ultimately what I'm committed to having, right? Yep. It may, it, I don't, it may not be there, but it's like, instead of going to my life, wife for love, I go to my wife to love. Like whatever she brings to the party is the invitation for me to express love. And, and I'm the context of that, right? So that's what I'm on my game. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, part, part of that post, Chad, that we're talking about as well is like having some type of, you know, self-exploration practice, which yeah. you don't have that in your life. Think about it. Um, it's, I, I would say it would, it, I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. There's some ways to do it that would probably be, uh, unhealthy. Like if you, if you just thought about how shitty you were all the time, that leads to, that is, that is shame. That's its only, uh, its own chronic complaint racket, but it leads towards a depression. But that those are choices you make that lead you down that road. But the, the invitation is to like wonder about how you've invested or wonder about your day and wonder about what you got from the day, what happened during the day and then how you invested in that. Right. So there are natural ways I showed up powerfully, right? So there are things that worked, like things that I did that were a, gener- a generous, thoughtful, you know, insightful, fill in the blank, lots of great things. And it's good to, I think most of us don't spend enough time in that, in that um, category, in that domain. What really worked? Instead, I see this with top, we see this with top leaders all the time. And that's like self, that would be like in the self-acceptance conversation. Like what's right with me? People don't, even high performers we work with almost across the board, low sense of self-acceptance, high sense mm-hmm. of the other category, which is what's wrong? What did I do wrong? How did I miss it? How can I improve? How can I improve? And we think that only examining the downsides is where to find the improvement. It'll be a part of where to find the improvement, but it's also, we know this in lots of many, many domains of life. It's doing less of the bad shit and doing more of the good shit, right? It's like, so paying attention to and doing a, and some kind of evaluation of what did I do that worked? What did I do that didn't work? How was my contribution that didn't work? And if you don't have any kind of practice like that, that's a good idea at the end of the night to do like a little you know, inventory of the day. And, you know, you don't have to do it forever, but just think about it, especially, especially if you're in the moment of crisis conflict with someone else, what am I doing that's working related to the stand? You can use that. What I say I want, or what am I doing that's, you know, contra my stand? Like, so, and if just to put the, to bring it back to the point, if I feel like I can, can really watch like watch how I'm showing up and affect how I'm showing up, like proactively, responsively, instead of in defense or reactively, then out of that comes a lot more vitality. And I feel like I'm more in the driver's seat in my car of my own existence instead of yeah. 
I'm in the passenger seat. So that's the point of it is if I feel like things are movable and I can move them and my choices matter and my words matter and my actions matter, then it doesn't, whatever's happening now, good. Whatever it is, awesome. I'll deal with this in order to get that. And there, out of that comes vitality and power and, you know, possibility. Yeah, I'll stand. When we talk about stand too, it's really interesting because it's not a stand against something because that's really a reaction. And it's not a stand <laughs> for and It's really not a stand for something or even with somebody because those are both ones waiting for the future to come. And the other one is, is uh, reacted to somebody else versus I am a stand. I am the stand. I am the way of being that I want, that I'm going to represent that future now. I am that now. So whatever is available is what is, is the provision for the vision. I, and I'm the one who contextualizes that, right? I'm the one who stands and makes that occur. And that's, that's a very different game than trying to arrange the circumstances so that something turns out, mm-hmm. which is... Yeah. It's interesting when we're anti something, that thing still controls our actions. It actually, it, it might, and, and and if I get rid of it, then I'm nothing. Right. If I can't be anything. When it's gone, I'm gone. My yeah. is gone. So it naturally produces. I need to produce the conflict to stay in, in, in to keep my identity or to keep my stand. Yeah. Right? Right? So standing as what I'm committed to, whatever that is. Yeah. That's a context. It's hard to explain because as the words are don't really capture it. It's more of an experience of being in the world the way I want the, from that future. I'm there, and I'm using whatever's there to bring that forth. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm engaging it. Yeah, yeah. This one's uh, this one's thick. Yeah, this is a lot here. This is great. Thanks so much for coming to the table. Yeah. You're welcome. And I'm just thinking for folks that are listening, if you've got questions about these things, we'd love to hear what your questions are. You can put comments down below or whatever, or DM us. I'm, I'm adrian.k and at Dan, Dan, Dan Tacchini, right? Or yeah. Dan, Dan Tacchini. Yeah. Or at Chad Brown. Yeah. We'd just love to be in a dialogue with you about these things. We know that we're kind of doing the fire hose thing here and we're talking about things often theoretically on purpose so that the conversation is big enough. You can find your conversation inside of it. So anyway, we'd love to be in a very specific conversation with you about what you're up to and what your challenges are, because that's what matters. So I mean, this, this isn't like paint. This isn't like uh, icing on a cake. No, no, this is really hard stuff. We'd love to help you work through it because whatever, whatever it is, whatever is going on right now, there's no inevitability to it. It is your choice. So yeah. yep. um, that's great, Adrian. That's a, that's a hard invitation and that's something we don't do often on this, on this podcast, but yeah. Man, if you if you're struggling to find yourself in this conversation, but can I identify with some of the struggle, some of the the chronic complaint language? Reach out to us. Our profiles are linked in the description of this, um, even an email there. So please uh, reach out to us. We'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Yeah. All right, gents. Love you both. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Dan. Bye, bye, everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. 
Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.